0: Welcome. My name is Gina Timberman, and you are listening to Timber People, a podcast about people who, like Timber, are strong, build and create, who gather us together like fuel that feeds fire. People who support structures of our community that uplift and protect. Really happy to welcome today my friend JT Pethrick. Welcome, JT. Well,
1: thank you. I'm honored to be here. This is a blast.
0: This is great. This is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to for the listeners to hear about our journey together, knowing one another, and everything that you're doing and have accomplished. And um, to start out, JT is a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation, and you're also Cherokee and Seminole. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, On my and, mom's
1: side, and on my dad's side, he's English. So.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I know that, um, and many of our uh, friends and associates in Indian country um, know you for your great work throughout Indian country with Indian health, with health uh, in general. And I want to talk about that. But I also want to go back um, to say how we know one another originally. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, you growing up and, um, and, and what you're doing today, because it's really exciting with everything. But JT and I met in law school at the University of Oklahoma. We were there from 96 to 99. And uh, yeah, seems
1: like it was a lot longer than that. But one thing I remember about that is just, thankfully, for me, that was during the time of the John Blake years. So it allowed me to kind of focus on studies, which I needed every right. bit of help to get through law school.
0: So, Yes. And, you know, uh, JT, I know that you work a great deal in policy and government relations, as well as tribal relations. And I think in the 90s, um, being in law school and then entering into the work that you were doing with the Indian Affairs Commission, those were really instructive, important years to really seeing the The capacity at which the opportunities with which our state can operate and how um and and really what was being accomplished, the foundation for things that were happening back then.
1: No, absolutely. And just, you know, thinking about law school and then both of us kind of starting in our careers, it, you know, we can't not talk about Senator Kelly Haney and Mm -hmm. uh I mean, you know, Senator Master Artist Miko you know, the whole list of all his uh, titles that he had. But, you know, one of the most interesting things when I was working for the Indian Affairs Commission, and that was at the same time that the Native American Cultural Educational Authority was, you know, just a few years old and had a staff of one, Tommy Thompson. And and I specifically recall one time I was out at a, we were at a conference, at National Congress of American Indians in Palm Springs, and they were doing a lot of work, both uh, Senator Haney and Tommy on, you know, trying to get some funding To get the uh, cultural center off the ground um, and also meeting with architects and everything out there is just really exciting time. But one evening we were just sitting around and Senator Haney said, you know, we need somebody like you, somebody who's young, who has energy, that can, you know, really just hit the ground running and try to, you know, continue a lot of the great work that was taking place with the educational authority. And so immediately I thought of you. Oh, thank you. it was just kind of like the the perfect person. So when I had a chance to kind of, you know, talk to you about that, and you were definitely interested, and that just kind of started that whole dialogue. And, um, you know, fortunately, we're so thankful that you were able to come on board and and really make some great progress there. And then, you know, fast forward to today where, you know, the fam is there, and it's thriving, and it's just so critical for all of Indian country, but then Oklahoma tribes too. But Another story around that that I just can't <laughs> help but share, too, is just, and this was like once you came on board to the educational authority, and I and I don't know if you remember this or not, but we were, I think, uh, Senator Haney, we were just all sitting outside one night like on a patio or something, and I, I want to say his age was probably around 60 at the time, but he was just, you know, sat down with us very candidly and said, you know, based on my family history and, you know, based on sort of like the life expectancy of my family members, I probably only have a few years left. And this was, you know, in the year 2000. So um, he said, you know, I want to make the most of it. And the museum, then I think we were calling it the Native American Cultural Center. um, You know, that he wanted that to be his legacy. And, you know, it's so interesting that yes, that is part of his legacy. But, you know, he (laughs) was around for another 16 or 17 years longer than what he had mentioned at that time. And just thinking of his legacy, even beyond that, with obviously the continued work that he did in the service to the Seminole Nation, his work, uh, obviously, as an artist, you know, with the Guardian on the the dome and just, you know, just thinking about that stuff, just really, as we were kind of building up to doing this podcast, those are just some of the things that I really thought about. And I know that he meant a lot to you and just was just a great mentor, along with a whole host of other folks that we can right. definitely just spend the next 30 minutes kind of just talking about that.
0: Right. Um, our warrior leader. I mean, he really was there to lead and to teach so much and to give so much, not just to Indian country. Thankfully he did, but also to, to the people of Oklahoma really. And it was um, really special to, um, to be a part of, of that journey with him and seeing um, his, you know, art Um, what he was doing with the statue, as you mentioned, on the dome and his commitment to seeing what is now the First Americans Museum through. And I want to thank you for your support and friendship from the very beginning. I remember the day that you walked up and handed me a letter to to meet with um, with you and with Barbara and to connect with um, then Senator um, Kelly Haney, our dear friend and leader. And I just uh, really cherished those days. I'm so appreciative for people of the community like you that were always there along the way because it wasn't it wasn't easy. No,
1: absolutely not. So.
0: <laughs> but we needed um, to all be in that together. So you were you were in that um, with us, and thank you so much.
1: No, absolutely. And you know when you say things weren't easy, and they definitely weren't. You know, kind of fast forwarding to 2023, but I think back to those days, particularly in the state government uh, realm. And, you know, then at the time, Senator Haney was the chair of the Appropriations Committee, which obviously is critical. And so with that, he had a lot of influence there. But, you know, from a, a broader legislative context, there really wasn't a lot of understanding and support for Indian country. Right. And he really led the charge as well as some other f- legislators, too. But he, because of his authority in that position and the respect that he had, he was really able to advocate and, you know, work some magic on tribal issues where, frankly, there wouldn't have been a lot of support. But you kind of fast forward now and how tribes have really, one, redeveloped their economies after, you know, the whole host of, we can go through all the, uh, you know, bad federal policy and state policy that has taken place over the years. But, you know, I think tribes at that time were really just diving in and really, you know, embracing the self-governance movement, really embracing rebuilding their economies. And you kind of fast forward to some of the issues that the legislature is facing today. And it's totally different. Obviously, you have support throughout the legislature on tribal issues. And it's just totally different. And just really thinking how impressive that is and how special it is to see that, you know, and it's just.
0: Oh, when we're cooperating across the aisle um, for what's best for Oklahoma, um it's really meaningful and it's important to everyone and you know you've you've been a part as mentioned about a really strong foundation for what is now experience in Oklahoma Indian country what's happening across the healthcare landscape when you were growing up did you ever know you would be i know you grew up in Tulsa yeah. And uh, so you're, you're, you know, Oklahoma, you're an yeah. <laughs> Um So did you ever realize um, that, that you would be um, working in law and policy and government relations or in the healthcare? I know you're an athlete and committed to your own well wellness and healthcare. JT, you're one that talks the talk, but you also uh, not only walk the walk, but you run, swim, and bike, they'll talk.
1: <laughs> well, and I think, yeah, we can definitely talk about, you know, the importance of, of health and what that means to all of our communities. But kind of backing up to the question about when I knew that I wanted to be involved in health policy type stuff, and it's really weird that it happened at a very young age. My mom was a nurse throughout her career, and she's uh, retired now, but... Um, she went to nursing school when I was probably about started when I was about three or so. And so, uh, you know, got to see her journey through going through nursing school with having I was the youngest of four children. And uh, obviously, it wasn't very easy to do that. And just so proud of the accomplishment of her being able to do that. And so she immediately started working in Tulsa and worked. At, then it was the Oklahoma Osteopathic Hospital, which has gone through various names, which is now the Oklahoma State mm-hmm. University Medical Center. And I had the coolest opportunity. They don't do it anymore. I'm really surprised they ever did that. I don't know how attorneys let this happen, but (laughs) they would have summer. I guess it was like kind of a candy striper, you know, when they had a a summer program. And when you turned 13, you could volunteer at the hospital. And that was something that my siblings had done previously. And so when I was finally able to do that, I jumped on that opportunity. It's like the summer of eighth grade. Probably more so because you would get a free lunch out of it. So that was probably my <laughs> the big uh pull for me. But just being involved in that, not necessarily from the clinical side of things. And I don't know, I just sort of grasped onto that administrative type of side, which is interesting because you know, who would think that as a, you know, a young twelve or thirteen year old that you'd be interested in that kind of stuff? Probably because I knew I didn't have the chops on the science side to to really you know, going down that road. So really just kind of progressed from there, just really just, and and seeing just the healthcare system at a young age and both on the tribal side and the non-tribal side uh, with, you know, Claremore Hospital being nearby and uh, having relatives that worked over there and then, you know, our family using that facility and just really got my interest. And then when I had the opportunity to move on to Northeastern State University, uh, just really... Got more into the law side of things, too, through some of the business classes. And then right around then, I kind of knew I wanted to explore both the health administration type background, but then also law because the policy stuff was really interesting. Important. Yeah. So after I graduated from Northeastern State, then moved over to Oklahoma City to go to the University of Oklahoma's College of Public Health and then eventually law school where we met. So
0: Right. Right. You know, going back to seeing your mother... Um, You know, and her commitment to being educated and um, in that field of study and her commitment to that field and to the nursing field and um, being exposed to, um, you know, to our mentors and family members. That's really important. People of our community generally and for Native people, Native youth. You know, to see the work that you're doing, especially I've served on the board for the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic for um, a number of years. And I want to thank you for your support personally, but also for Blue Cross and Blue Shield support for the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. And, um, you know, it's, it's not unique to see, um, pictures of you being involved in that support and also participating photos,
1: maybe sometimes,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but participating as a community member as well. And I think it's important that, um, especially our young ones see that, um, you know, as a native man, you know, participating and um, being a part of those community activities, so thank you. And I also think it's important that our community members are seeing what um, what Native men and Native professionals generally are doing in the healthcare field. And you've served as the executive director of the National Indian Health Board. Mm-hmm. Um, you've served the um, Cherokee Nation the, as the legislative. Um, uh, policy liaison. Is that correct? And and then, you know, going back again to the Oklahoma Indian Affairs Commission and then your role with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. um, Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen what is offered and available for Indian country through Native policy and programs over the years? Because Uh, it's really been great to see the access to care for Native people evolve and be strengthened in ways that are not only bringing us together, but also providing much needed services to communities and community members that otherwise would not receive it.
1: No, absolutely. And just, you know, I'll probably work backwards, but, you know, that last statement that you made where, you know, these opportunities or services would not be available were it not for tribes and you really see, you know, rural healthcare access throughout the United States, throughout the world, frankly, is just a challenge. And it's just hard to have facilities, have providers, uh, et cetera. One of the key differences that we've really seen in Oklahoma is the fact that our tribal nations are in rural parts of the state. And I was just driving a couple of weeks ago down to Houston and driving between Dallas and Houston you know, there was just not a whole lot of anything, you know, it's just, it's rural Texas and contrast that to driving through rural parts of Oklahoma, where the presence of tribes is just there and you see that they're building economies, that they're providing services and, you know, just how tribes have really stepped into that gap in Oklahoma is just so powerful, not only for tribal citizens, but everyone. Mm -hmm. And just thinking of the evolution of the Indian health system, the Those that are operated directly by the federal government, the tribally operated facilities in Oklahoma, which have just exploded over the years, as well as you mentioned, the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic and the Indian Healthcare Resource Center of Tulsa, which, you know, those two facilities are just so impressive because it was just built by grassroots, just local community members just, gosh, you know, 40, 50 years ago saying we need some services started just, you know, very small, and just looking at all the work that they're doing now is just phenomenal. And I have a special appreciation that for that too, because thinking in terms of growing up in Tulsa, while there was Claremore, you know, Indian Healthcare Resource Center and some other programs were uh, there and, and just growing. But just the sense of community among urban tribal citizens is just really special and you know, growing up, my grandparents were charter members of the Tulsa Indian Methodist Church over in North Tulsa. And that was just Mm -hmm. something that they were very passionate about. And just that sense of community is just so vital to the urban uh, populations. But really just thinking in terms of my role at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, and it was kind of weird. I've been there for a little over 11 years now. And when I joined, you know, it was the first time I had a position that was not exclusively dedicated to working on tribal issues. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a great opportunity you know and when i had the opportunity to join the organization i called a lot of uh, you know people because it was going to be just a, a significant career shift talked to some people both within state government and in the tribal community and they said you know this is a great opportunity this is a, a organization that is you know passionate about working with the community including tribal nations and you know you would be a good fit over there, so I took the plunge and and did that, and haven't looked back, and just really loved that. One of the coolest things about that is that, you know, my title is associate vice president of government relations, and so, you know, the primary parts of my job obviously are coordinating uh, our work with state legislatures, state regulators, agencies, etc. Is also you know with some federal work, but. A critical piece of government relations, of course, is tribal relations. So right. we've been able to coordinate a lot of our tribal relations work too, which is so special. And what I really appreciate about our company, one, we have a lot of tribal citizens as employees. We have a lot of customers who are tribal citizens or tribal nations, tribal economic uh, ventures, etc. And throughout our company, we have taken an approach where we want to work in collaboration with our tribes and tribal communities and tribal organizations and really in a manner that respects and upholds tribal sovereignty, which you don't see that a lot in uh, the the non-Indian, uh, you know, business sector as well. And we are, our legal counsel has been great and really embraced, you know, and I think kind of going back to, you know, what you talked about when we have collaboration and are committed to that, great things can happen. And, you know, just thinking, you know, not to get too deep into to legal talk, but, you know, if you want to make things work, you you make them work. You know, if you want right. to, to fight and put up obstacles, you can do that too. And I think that we've really had a, just a commitment to working in collaboration and just, you know, if there are jurisdictional issues or whatever, let's just work through them and, you know, try to resolve them. It's, so it's been a very positive experience. And, you know, one of the coolest things too, is that while my role is uh, over all of government relations, I think that our company has really identified the need to have specific staff working on tribal relations. Mm-hmm. So we have a tribal relations specialist that's been on board for about eight years now. And she, uh, Lucinda Myers, and she does a phenomenal job and it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, well-respected throughout Indian country and, uh, you know, gets to, to be out there in the community is very committed and very passionate. And we actually had our 11th annual tribal round table last week where we bring in, uh, you know, everyone across Oklahoma, Indian country to come in and talk about various health issues. And it's just a really robust conversation. And, you know, several of our tribal participants just talked about how great of a job that Lucinda does, as well as everybody else throughout our company as well. So it's something I'm extremely proud about. And and frankly, if we as a company weren't doing those things, I honestly don't think I'd still be there. You know, it's just...
0: Right. Yeah, that commitment and corporate culture... To really dive into those community needs, yes. um, but going back to the government relations side, um, it's important the work that you and others are doing in roles like yours. That um, to see you at the Capitol, you know, I try to avoid
1: it as much as possible, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but
0: but um, to see that visibility and to know that the efforts are being made. Um, in that corporate culture, to bridge those gaps Absolutely. is really important. And you mentioned that that economic side of it—that our healthcare systems in rural Oklahoma are economic development. Absolutely opportunities. And, um, and that's, that's been really important. And that affects everyone in those areas.
1: Yeah. And it's probably some dated material too, but I mean, we were doing some work to, to really increase healthcare access in rural Oklahoma. And I think that Oklahoma is doing a great job and as well, you know, a whole host of stakeholders on working on those issues, but just like having one primary care physician, you know, amounts to just, you know, generating like a million and a half dollars Mm -hmm. a year in economic, you know, good in a particular community. And that's, like I said, that's dated and that's probably pretty low, but, you know, just being, a, and I think one of the coolest things, and I know that you're familiar with this, but with Oklahoma State University partnering with the Cherokee Nation oh, on the uh, College of Medicine there. And I had a chance to tour that uh, last month and, and meet some of the folks who were doing that. It's just phenomenal. But one of the coolest things is I think that we've identified that in order for you to have providers in rural parts of any community, you know, you have to have those providers who are from those communities. And so it's taken obviously a long time to kind of what people usually say, you know, grow your own providers. But I mean, that's something that the OSU and Cherokee Nation partnership has done a phenomenal job in identifying those kids out in rural communities, making sure that they have all the educational needs that they need in middle school and high school, getting them through, uh, undergraduate and on to, uh, medical school as well as the residency programs. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And the retention rates that I've, I'm hearing that they're having just a great deal of success in keeping those kids in rural communities. So
0: Absolutely. And the value-added services that you never heard about. When we were growing up, you'd hear stories about... You know, you may have to take a change of clothes, but you definitely pack a lunch when you go to the doctor (laughs) because you're gonna you're gonna be there a while. (laughs) There's a reason there were playgrounds outside because yeah, well, that's part of economic development. Yeah,
1: it's (laughs) so funny that you mentioned that. Like thinking in terms of you know, we would usually go to Claremore, and you know, I had an uncle who worked there, and I mean, great providers, and you know, the facilities do a great job given the resources that they have. Absolutely, you know, but it is an economic you know, engine when you think in terms of you got to, if you don't pack a lunch, then you're going to have to go, you know, across the street to find somewhere. And so a lot of businesses, you know, thrived because of, you know, some of those facilities. So.
0: Absolutely. I think of our Choctaw Nation Hospital in Talahina and what that has done for the economy and employment opportunities down there and uh, and in other areas and even, you know, driving down the highway and seeing what Muskogee Creek Nation and, um, in their facilities and, and being out in different areas. And Cherokee Nation, um, the commitment that they have to the development of their facilities. And when we know about the Chickasaw Nation facilities that have provided in terms of their employment, as well as many other tribes, and and also up in, in Northeast Oklahoma. And it's important now that companies like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Are asking Native people, Native liaisons, people working in the field, what members of tribes need, what tribal citizens need, what communities need. And the ways in which healthcare is provided in those value added services is shifting to ways that are becoming more preventative. Absolutely. That is really important. No, absolutely.
1: And I think that's one of the things that we've struggled with as. A society, particularly in the United States, is just not really thinking about all those other needs that an individual has, you know, rather than just you know going in and having an appendix removed and just thinking in terms of what are all those needs, not only for that individual but that individual's family. And I think that's so important. I think tribes, as well as the Indian health system, including the urban Indian clinics, have really understood that and embraced that and you know, obviously, it's a, a natural fit that they get that just given I think that there's a strong commitment and understanding of the importance of a family and community. But just thinking in terms of what are the needs of those individuals and their families as far as uh, social services, transportation, et cetera, And they're really leading the way on, you know, thinking in terms of healing the entire person and making that making sure that they have all their needs. So they're not, you know, making return visits for right. infections or you know, bad outcomes, etc.
0: Absolutely, and I like to think in the future more and more that there will be a relationship between the healthcare services provided and our cultural services yeah. that are provided. I mean, I would love to see that the day that Grandma's going to visit the doctor, that the whole family might go take her, and they'd all go to the their tribal museum or cultural center or even. Some healthcare services or different um, opportunities would be provided through the cultural centers and museums when you have community gatherings occurring yes. and the camps, the wellness camps, and the different ways in which we can incorporate education and preventative wellness care uh, throughout our museums and cultural center programs.
1: No, absolutely, and I think you know a big critical piece to that too. In addition to you know the the museums and the cultural programs, which also incorporate a lot of the food stuff too, that I'm I'm really so impressed to see a lot of the work that's taking place in tribal communities on supporting food sovereignty, and that's something that you know when you think about why tribal citizens have had struggles with various health uh, disparities, which are obviously caused by bad federal policy and undoing that and sort of getting back to a lot of the original ways that tribal citizens lived and which includes food, you know. And so I think that's just been really special to see. And there's so many examples throughout Oklahoma where we've seen just a lot of growth in that area.
0: Absolutely. You know, I used to be a camp facilitator for Wings of America. And I know we did a Wings camp many years ago, Cherokee Nation and facilitated throughout Indian country. This is years ago, but incorporating traditional games and awareness about um, sugar and diabetes. And so, yes, I, I I would really see more of that happening on the horizon. And um, speaking about the future, um, what do you see coming up uh, this next year and beyond for Blue Cross and Blue Shield or opportunities for Indian country in healthcare?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are so many things going on. And one of the coolest things that I think that our approach at Blue Cross Blue Shield is to meet our partners where they are. And I think that's something that we really have to be very deliberate about. We have so many great programs and opportunities, whether that's through behavioral health programs. And I think that, you know, one of the cool things with technology now that uh, in, in speaking back to, you know, coming out of COVID, I think that we've really embraced the use of technology in providing healthcare for individuals mm-hmm. and and not to be critical of our our healthcare providers but i think that there were some maybe a little on the more older side of things who weren't really embracing technology i mean i think that they were trained to put hands on people and obviously that's very critical but you know there's so much that can be done from virtual visits through uh you know some safe platforms to talk to people particularly in behavioral health issues and i think that we've really embraced using technology in being able to provide care for our members. And again, I think it's really important to kind of meet our partners where they are and that's working with our tribal communities to make sure that we're not coming in and providing something in lieu of what they're already doing, but how mm-hmm. can we support? Because I think that's one of the biggest um, things that we want to avoid is coming in with maybe some program. And I think that that kind of goes back to May be a hesitancy of some individual uh, tribal citizens to seek health coverage, seek health insurance, because you know they think, oh, now that I have this health insurance, then I won't be going to right. the Indian health system or tribe, which is you know not true. Obviously, in fact, you know you get health coverage, we want you to go to the Indian health system because that's where they can get some additional revenue, and really tribes have done a tremendous job in maximizing that third-party revenue, so they can do a lot of the great things that we're seeing expansion, Mm -hmm. having specialty providers, et cetera. So I think our commitment is to really see how we can enhance and support the work that's already taking place. And again, I know that they have been huge in identifying opportunities to bring in specialty care where before they would have to send out individuals to get, um, you know, you know, maybe orthopedic services, et cetera. And I think that because of tribes and, uh, the Urban Indian Clinics and the Indian Health Service have done a tremendous job. They're starting to be able to provide that stuff where over the last, you know, 20 years, that was never the case. So
0: Right, right. Um, you have to connect those spheres of influence. Yes. Uh, also, that's opportunity to build community. And I've really seen it with, um, you know, Tulsa and also with the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. And it's really great. Um so speaking of the they have future-
1: strong leadership at both oh, places, so I mean
0: um <laughs> uh, you I mean just it was really great to honor Carmelita Skeeter um this she past year. Me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, but I'm just um really proud of of the work that has been accomplished in um there um, working under Carmelita's leadership and also with Robin Sunday Allen and her awesome team at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic. And um, speaking of what's on the horizon, uh, are you in training? I know you have been on Ironman competitions and, uh, you know, different, um, different feats of of physical wonder, anything (laughs) on the horizon? Physical
1: insanity. (laughs) Well, you know, one quick thing when we mentioned Carmelita, just such a, you know, again, and, Robin over at the Oklahoma City Indian Clinic and I was kidding, well, kidding, not kidding about being scared of Carmelita, but they're both <laughs> tremendous <laughs> leaders and very passionate for urban Indians. And I think that, you know, one of the things that can kind of be conflicting is that, you know, they are 501c3 entities and, right. you know, trying to, to walk that line of making sure that they are able to that they're heard, that they're able to serve their population. Um, and they do a tremendous job in doing that, but you know, sometimes that there are instances where, you know, there may be a little bit of conflict, particularly, you know, maybe some instances in Tulsa around some jurisdictional issues, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, their service area overlaps with several tribes there, which 99.9% of the time, everything's fine, and there's some cooperation. But, you know, when we're talking about, you know, maybe some jurisdictional concerns that tribes have, there can occasionally be some, mm-hmm. some, you know, disagreements over that. But, uh, just thinking back at the time when I worked in Washington, DC, and you know, there was some work taking place around the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act, and some jurisdictional issues were raised, and she was very adamant about protecting the Indian Healthcare Resource Center and right. was successful in getting federal legislation to protect both those mm-hmm. facilities. And, you know, just thinking in terms of, you know, trying to be that voice. One, in in our nation's capital, but then also, you know, potentially in conflict with maybe some of the thoughts and recommendations of some of the tribes or tribal leaders at that time in that area. And just, you know, that really demonstrates the strength that, um, you know, both those organizations and both those leaders have. So,
0: We're, I'm grateful for warrior women like that, that yeah. know how to stand their ground. Yeah, and, cool. you know, and you said it earlier of, you know, when you want to work things out, you can come Absolutely. come to a common ground. And you know, I, I've, I've said it before, but I'll say it again, is we, we were a collision of cultures and we can be a collaboration of cultures if we can commit to that. And so.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I always think about Oklahoma because, you know, when you hear about Oklahoma and somebody who's not from Oklahoma, they always say that, you know, people are so nice and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're not always nice, but, you know, at least there's that widespread perception that or, or feeling that people are nice in Oklahoma and very cooperative. And obviously during natural disasters, you see that so much. But I always go back to thinking in terms of because of the fact of how Oklahoma evolved and Indian country mixed in with, you know, the rest of Oklahoma and just that history while it's ugly and has some, you know, various tough parts of history, it really forced everybody to kind of work together, you know, and I think that that really, while we don't have, we don't agree on everything, and sometimes it's a struggle, I think that there's always that mentality that, you know, these are our people, these are neighbors, these are community members, and we just have to work together. Um, <clears throat> but also, one of the things that you talked about, too, is just that, you know, when you want to collaborate, you can collaborate and make things happen. When you want to disagree that happens too. But, you know, after those disagreements and after something settled, you move on. And I think that that's something that's unfortunately just not really seeing a whole lot of right now, which is just kind of tough. And hopefully we can kind of get back to that where, you know, you have a disagreement, it's resolved whether you like it or not, you shake hands and move on. And, And that's one thing when I was thinking about, you know, the situation, the example of Carmelita in Tulsa and, Yeah, there were disagreements on issues. It was settled and resolved. And, you know, those partnerships, that collaboration, you know, continue to thrive. And I think that's so critical.
0: I agree. And I I also think it's important that people know those stories and that history and tell them like you're telling on the show and like um, stories that um, have been passed down that relate to our shared cultural values. And it's important to know that history. And I appreciate you sharing and the leadership that you have provided to healthcare in Oklahoma and throughout Indian country. And JT, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. No, and it's been a blast. Thank you. And we'd love, I'd love to have you back anytime to share it. any updates or activities that you're doing. And um, thank you so much.
1: Well, no, it's been a pleasure. And I just, uh, Thank you so much for allowing me to come and share some of my stories.
0: Thank you. All right. Yakoki, Mado All right. Thank you. <laughs> Yakoki, Thank you for joining us. Timber People is brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast platform.